There's a, a good example from Jason Kenny, who's a British track cyclist, one of the most decorated Olympians, I think, in history. And he was interviewed on probably a competing podcast now. And he said that he didn't even think about the event. He didn't put any stock or any importance on the event. He put stock and importance on doing everything outside of training as high priority. He got asked about what if you didn't get gold? He said, well, it's, then I didn't get gold. It's such a simple way to look at it, but it's a really nice way because it gives a, a really good balance as to where your priority should lie. This is the metal set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. In this bonus episode on my road to training for the Beirut International Marathon, it just made sense to get my coach Rob Foster on the podcast. I've been training with Rob for over two years but only started working with him on my running technique last December. Rob has more than 10 years of experience in running and coaching, having done many a marathons himself around the world and his athletes achieving their personal bests. Rob joined me to talk about how to start training for your first marathon, the key elements in training, setting expectations, and how to structure your sessions and nutrition for the best results without injury. So let's dive in. Hi Rob, happy to have you on the podcast to talk about everything marathon because you and I, we both are running the Beirut International Marathon on November 13th and we're here to discuss how to get into marathon training. Let me set the stage here. I only got into running in December of 2021 with a fair bit of hesitation as you know, but of course programming and the way things were programmed for me got me on board and now I'm doing a marathon, a full marathon. But my question, my first question to you would be, had I come with this vision to do a marathon perhaps two months back, would you say yes, I can do one or what the assessment would look like had I asked you? I think anybody can do a marathon firstly. I think that it just depends on the manner in which you do it. So whether it's a run walk, whether it's a full run, I think completing a marathon should be possible for anybody within three months. You should really talk to the guys doing the marathon project, Steph and Rob, because they take runners from three months out to a mm -hmm. marathon okay. and they, they don't guarantee it because you can never guarantee, mm -hmm. but they believe that they can get people to marathon. I would also back that. I think that given the right load intensity and progression, that you can get somebody not who's completely non-runner or has a previous history of a knee injury that's currently there, but you can get somebody to a marathon within three months. And what would then the training look like for this newbie who's gotten into or who's decided they wanted to do a marathon three months out? What is the starting point and what are the prerequisites or what does the assessment look like for you as a coach? As a coach, and as you have experience of, it's all about setting expectations and alignment at the start. Right. So you can't answer, or I can't answer how does it look for anybody because mm -hmm. I don't believe in a generic Joe program. You can get them from anywhere, mm -hmm. like a generic program that gets you theoretically to a marathon by in three months. I think that if I had somebody who come in and we made sure they weren't injured, they had X amount of time to train, 
and then you curate a program that works for that person in not in isolation so you have to take into factors such as life work family travel yeah. everything else outside of training as well so how much they sleep at night what they're eating what experience they have in the past of exercise and fitness so if you start coming from a very general background of I just like to train in the gym or I, I've never really run in my life or I hate running but I want to do it to prove something to myself then you have to take these things into account and modify whatever you plan to suit that person it's really hard to, to create a generic this is how we on board or yeah. this is how I am board because I believe that it's individual and it's personalized for each different person that I speak to because yeah. we've all got our own stuff right, right. From there, once you set your goal, so the goal is what, to complete a marathon? Okay, that's the goal. Or it's to complete a marathon in three and a half hours or four mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. If that goal is realistic, and then you take that and you plot back from that marathon, so in three months mm -hmm. time, and you say, we have to get you to run 42.2 kilometers in X minutes per kilometer consistently yeah. in three months. How we're gonna get there realistically with all your previous baggage, or let's call it life, mm -hmm and how we're going to plot that so it's a gradual build which isn't going to make you injured which isn't going to make you burn out and we'll get you there yeah okay so taking a step back and looking at how you structured it for me right so i started sometime towards the end of last year but it was on and off for me up until may i want to say talk me through how my training looked like for you because i've seen it on training peaks for myself but you as a coach looking at all these variables that you spoke about that you have to take into consideration. Talk me through how you then started building a program for me. Someone who's been on and off, who only started, who'd never had a background in running before, and then taking me from there to where we are now. So we had no idea that we were going to go for a marathon. Exactly. <laughs> Dear listeners, we had not a clue. Yeah. We started with the aim of, I want to give running a go yeah. and see if you like it. Mm -hmm. So that's how it went. I programmed in to balance with your cycling, to make sure that cycling was at that stage was still the primary fitness yeah. mode. Mm -hmm. There's also the gym that you do. And then we started to spatter in runs where we could without impacting those and allowing for the fact that Time is a huge thing. On top of that, because you are, I would class you when you first came on as an athlete and you built up cycling and you did amazingly well with that and it took a long time to get you comfortable with the bike and comfortable with handling and comfortable with actually yeah. what everything means. Yeah. What does Training Peaks look like? How does yeah. a session look and how does that mm -hmm. feel? And just for the benefit of everyone, Training Peaks is basically a program that coaches and athletes use to... The calendar. Put, it's like a calendar and we have our program in it, right? Yeah, exactly. So then you need to have an, an onboarding for running. So we did it with cycling. We, we went through heart rates, RPE, so rate of perceived exertion, so how things feel. And you got really well at dialing in how things felt so they aligned with your heart rate, then eventually it dialed into your power. So you have to take that blueprint of getting somebody from where you have a limited running experience. Mm -hmm. And our first conversation was a keen dislike for running, and I don't like running, to take on those things and the skill of running, the RPEs, what different things mean, so endurance, like an easy aerobic run compared to a threshold run, so you understand the difference between the intensities and what they benefit from you and what they're meant to achieve. Yeah. I basically, it's not really complex, I just put in different sessions that hit different stimulus, 
so you have an experience and build up a schema of, of knowledge as to what things should feel like. Mm-hmm. All the while, we got you into our, like our track sessions and that was really important for form to make sure that whatever you were doing, you were doing it properly. So getting you into the tempo run and the, the coffee run and then also track to make sure that you were almost via diffusion mm-hmm. looking at good technique and taking it on. Because you do that. If you, with good runners and you look at what they do, mm. you mimic it. We all mimic. Yeah. That's what we do as humans. Yeah. And then if I can pick out things and give you exercises that will make you less prone to injury through good form, then that's a win. And then you start to really slowly build that up. And in terms of the different sessions that you mentioned, they all play a very important role in building that base, right? So can you tell us the different variations within a program to build a runner up to something like a marathon? Yeah, there's there's a couple of different like theories out there. There's the 80-20 theory. So you classify your runs in basic recovery runs, aerobic runs or zone two runs, if it depends on how you want to call it, tempo runs which are a bit more intense, a bit more like race pace efforts for half marathon or up to a marathon if you're good enough. And then there's threshold runs and then there's VO2 max runs. Right. And then there's hill runs. And then the zone twos and zone three runs, what is that exactly? Is that based on heart rate? Okay, it's based on a number of things. Okay. So (laughs) at the start, just like you do and have done in cycling and running, I like to start all the sessions and all journeys with an athlete with preliminary testing. Mm-hmm. So that's lactate heart rate test, okay. which you've done before, and you've also done some pretty yes. mean runs, um, which look a lot like that, which is basically you run as fast as you can for 30 minutes. Okay. We take your heart rate at that level, so it has to be a maximum effort for 30 minutes. Okay. And we also take your speed, and then every four to six weeks, depending on how consistent the training's been, you retest that number. Okay. Once you get that lactate heart rate number, which is the maximum heart rate sustained mm-hmm. for 30 minutes or 20 minutes, you then take a percentage of that and that gives you your zone two or your range of zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four. Okay. And above that is five A, five B and five C, depending on which protocol you follow. And from there, you can pretty much dictate the intensity via your heart rate, via the paces associated from that lactate heart rate. Or this is a more, I think the most reliable and undervalued is the RPE that we use in the summer because once it's summertime, or very hot like it is in Dubai, pace and heart rate tend to be quite subjective. Mm-hmm. And what is RP? Rate perceived exertion. So how hard you feel it is. Okay. So people think it's far too subjective, but if you're honest with yourself in any mode of exercise and you say this feels hard and you like ask yourself at least twice, it's like mental health, isn't it? You could ask yourself twice because it's if you if you say, Oh, I think this is like a nine, but actually, me, it's not. You're just kidding yourself. But if you use it properly and you relate it to heart rate and pace once you get accustomed to those numbers, then it can become a really valuable number to go by. And then you get zones for that as well. I learned this the hard way when I had started running. I did a lot of runs where I went all out very fast and I did injure myself a little bit. So you can't really treat a program that way, right? You can't just go out and do all your runs as hard runs. There has to be a recovery run in there. There has to be tempo. There has to be all those elements that come together, right? What benefit does an athlete get by doing these different runs all put together? It's different energy systems. So what we're trying to do by varying the intensity is varying the stimulus, therefore you vary the adaptations. And also in running, you vary 
the speed to elicit better mechanics, like running mechanics. So by doing a tempo run, for example, that creates a stimulus around race pace, which makes you more efficient at race pace. To do a VO2 max session, that really pushes how much oxygen you can use in a minute. That's the definition of it. So your maximal oxygen capacity. So how much you can actually physically use in that minute, which is the top of your pyramid, basically. So anything below it, the higher you go, the more room you have underneath. But then you go back to your zone two runs and your zone one recovery runs, and they're your bread and butter. They mm. build up that big base of the pyramid so that you can push higher and higher mm. without the risk of getting injury. So by mixing it up, you get different and elicit different responses from the body to progress at a rate which is good, to build in mechanical efficiency, which is great, running economy, which is even better, and then ultimately, as you get closer to the competition or the race that you want to do, you really dial that into specifics. Mm. So you're now on a lot of race pace efforts, which yeah. is deemed high zone two, like low tempo, okay. which is very specific to what you need to be doing because it needs to be race specific. And race specific is usually in zone two. Is that what I would be running a marathon at? Or <laughs> this is, depends. You can't say. Okay. Next one. It depends on the person. If you're a highly trained runner who has been running for ten years, yeah, has run sub three hours like ten times, they'll probably be at the top end of tempo. It's called critical power. Okay. The maximum power you can sustain for a given time. So. If we project that your marathon time will be four hours, mm. you'll have a critical power associated with that. That critical power will be associated to a certain heart rate, pace, and RPE. Okay. And then we run at that. So we're running at a percentage of your critical power. And then nutrition. How does that impact anything and everything in a training? Everything. <laughs> nutrition. It's a huge thing at the minute because we've got these big needles they put in the back of your arm and then it tells you blood glucose. Mm. So the, the attention... One that I have as well. Correct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> my arm. Spot that, isn't it? <laughs> so it allows you to monitor your blood glucose level. So the body uses glucose to produce energy and it's the most easily accessible mode or substrate that it can use. Fat stores, yes, we use a lot of percentage of that, but that gets metabolized into glucose and blood sugar, yeah. which then goes to the body. So everything you do when you're training and racing, you need to fuel it, especially over an hour, because you don't want to go into deficit because you want to give your body as much energy at once so that it's not too stressed. Yeah. Now, how much you can physically take on during an exercise is very much determined in your gut and how well you've trained your gut. And that's a huge thing that's happening now. Mm. So Aluda Kipchoge has trained his gut to be able to take on 100 grams of carbohydrates an hour because his intensity of exercise is so high, he mm. requires that. And that yeah. allows him to elevate that and don't hit the wall, yeah. which we often hear, which is a huge drop in blood glucose because mm. you haven't fueled enough and you can't supply the energy quick enough. So although you feel okay, you just feel completely mm. gone. Before, during and after is really important. That's my real focus point, is making sure you feel going into sessions. Yeah. Early morning sessions in Dubai are interesting, but if you've had a good meal the night before, you should be stocked up and a quick snack beforehand to make sure you're not going in cold. During, making sure you're meeting the energy demands of the exercise. So if it's a track session, it's really hard to feel. 
<laughs> and it's less than an hour, so really you can burn through that because you've got about 60 minutes worth of carbohydrates in your body, 40 to 60, depending on how intense it is. Mm. And then anything over an hour, you really need to be toppling them up consistently. Like every 15 to 30 minutes take on some form of energy, like in a glucose or fructose form. Is there a formula for this? Like, do you have to take 30 grams of carbs every 30 minutes or 40 minutes mm -hmm. once you've passed that one hour? You shouldn't let that hour pass. So if you know you're going past an hour, you start feeling before. Mm, okay. So that you don't start feeling once you start running out. You've, okay. You keep it topped up. It's like okay. just, you go to the fuel station, you put some petrol in, you go away and then you pop back mm. like 30k later just to top mm. it up. You just keep making it so it's on the top line. So just on that, what are some of the common mistakes that you do see athletes make as far as nutrition is concerned? Overfueling and underfueling. Okay. Let's talk about overfueling first. Where people read 60 grams an hour, but they don't in exercise an intensity that will require that. Okay. And then you get a surplus of a sugar, which you can't deal with, it makes you feel very nauseous and your body just rejects it, so you usually end up being sick. Okay. So you can take on too many carbs, which is not good. You can take on too little carbs. Mm. That's the most common problem, eh? Especially in the heat as well, because you just don't feel like having anything. Yeah. It's a real knacker. And if you're dehydrated as well, it takes a lot of your energy to sort of force yourself to have that, uh, that food. But underfueling not only impacts that individual session, it impacts the subsequent recovery, and if you're on a three-month build towards a marathon and you're not fueling each session properly and you're going out of a session depleted and then you're having to work a little bit harder to regenerate those glycogen stores and recover your muscles, then it's just a cumulative effect that by possibly in two weeks' time, where you would usually be fine if you'd been fueling properly, you're actually in a state where you're, you're absolutely knackered right. and you're burnt out. So it's essential and health eating around it. So I don't like the word diet. I hate, I hate the word diet, but if you have a good three solid meals that meet your BMR, which is basic metabolic rate or basal metabolic rate, yeah. which is how many calories you burn on a normal day sitting around doing nothing. Yeah. The more you train, the higher that goes yeah. because your metabolic rate goes up because yeah. you have to repair, you have all this stuff. Yeah. And you build muscle mass, which takes a lot more energy to maintain. Yeah. And then you add your exercise on top of that, mm. plus your daily activities, walking, jumping, meeting people, going for dinners, all that stuff. And as long as you're meeting the requirement for that through good, like balanced food, like all the good words, then you should be okay. And you're feeling exercise. Right. But if you don't and you neglect that or you try and lose weight because you think it'll make you faster by going in deficit, you're gonna burn out again. Okay. And problems will come off the back of that. So if you underfuel, if your nutrition's bad, you'll have a higher chance, especially as a, a lady, like a female, of getting brittle bones and fractures because you're not allowing the body or giving the body what it needs to yeah. repair the bone. The bone is alive, it needs to repair. Yeah. And the same with the muscles and tendons. Mm. They'll start to break down as opposed to build up and you'll get more frequent injuries like niggles, like strains and eventual tears and it's just a degenerative thing. If you don't allow and give your body proper supply and recovery, then it won't be able to adapt to what yeah, you're asking it to. And then it becomes to. a vicious cycle as well. Very vicious. Oh. Yeah. Just on that, right, I'm pretty sure you do have athletes who are on the road to kind of achieving something or are taking on a challenge like a marathon, but then they suddenly hit a roadblock, they have an injury, but they still want to do it. How do you address that mindset 
of them because I have seen athletes train through pain. Yeah. And so how do you then address that mindset with athletes? I think it's a long time and it's, an, it's, a, it's a good relationship with some new coach. So an open and honest relationship means you can speak quite frankly about what's going on and what the consequences of a path that they're choosing to take will result in. If I see somebody who's training through pain, I mean, <laughs> there's a couple who have done it in the, in the past yeah. and there'll be more people because they put a lot of stock in the goal and it becomes all encompassing. Yeah. It's about having a bigger picture. So I don't believe that that one goal should be the be all end all of your life and your happiness through exercise. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, if you look at yourself three years down the line, you'd have trained 80% more if you just keep consistent and you don't like go searching for form where it's not really there. And those big goals that come by are just a celebration of exercise and what you're doing in your life yeah. as opposed to that is my A race. If I don't hit that number, if I don't hit that placement, life will end. And that's when people get into a really quite a noxious place where that's all they can see. But that doesn't mean you're not going to perform well. Mm. That's not what I'm saying. Um, there's a, a good example from Jason Kenny, who's a British track cyclist, one of the most decorated Olympians, I think, in history. Mm -hmm. And he was interviewed on another, probably a competing podcast now. Mm -hmm. And he said that the event he didn't even think about the event mm. he didn't put any stock or any importance on the event he put stock and importance on doing everything outside mm. of training as high priority right. he's a professional like the journey to it yeah and not and like the destination he got asked about what if you didn't get gold he said well it's then i didn't get gold it's such a simple way to look at it but it's mm. a really nice way because it, it gives a i think a really good balance as to where your priority should lie mm. You have to enjoy the journey. And I think that's the best way to get past this pain is okay. Because mm. really, you shouldn't train through pain. Mm. Pain is fine. So pain, physical pain where your legs are saying, I really am tired, yeah. or this is really hurting. Mm. It's not like you can't feel your leg or you, you can't walk up some stairs, or when you get a big bubble in your knee, you just keep running through it. Mm. That's an injury, right? Mm. But physical pain is necessary in sport to mm. get better. Yeah. It's about clearly defining that and clearly defining what that is they want from that, that run, that ride, and what it means to them and their why. If you can broaden the, the, the scope of the whole process, then people overall, as a percentage, I'd say, are significantly more happy on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. They don't get so anxious or guilt when they miss a session mm. because it's the big picture. Yeah. We're looking for yourself, mm. for a runner mm. who's just started really mm. in the grand scheme of running. Yeah. If you were to look five years down the line, you wouldn't recognize yourself now if you keep running. That's true. Like you would not I recognize myself six months from where I was before. So <laughs> Exactly. The process dictates the level of enjoyment and yeah. you've done things that are fun. I've said yes to things that you've come to me with because you want to do it to experience. Yes. I think it's all about that. And again, this, this has no reflection how you perform because we still expect and we still want to get better. We're humans, we like to yeah. climb that ladder. Yeah. 
and I'm the same. So I'm happy to say that everything along my road to the Beirut Marathon has gone well so far. Uh, no tap. injuries, tap, yeah, tap on wood. Uh, <laughs> and I have stuck to the program. So now race day comes along, which is just around the corner anyways. What does the last week in the lead up look like for an athlete? And what should an athlete be doing to make sure that they're fresh and ready for race day? All right. So three things I think that are the most important for somebody going into a marathon. Number one is sleep. Mm. Number two is eat normally. No extra carbs, no top-up carbs. <laughs> no, because you're reducing your train load, so you don't yeah. need to, right? True. People like to do that as well. You don't need to. You can't absorb more carbs and then just hold them somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you can a little bit, but not really. And then number three is have a really clear idea, an itinerary of that week leading up to it. Mm. So what you're doing, what exercises you're doing, if some of them are negotiable, so if you can skip out on some, that's amazing. And you know where your priorities lie. For us, when we're traveling, it's having an arrangement. When you're traveling, what are you gonna do before you travel? What are you gonna do on travel day to make sure that you're not impacted by dehydration, exhaustion, bad back, tight limbs? Are you gonna do some mobility before, mobility after? What are you gonna eat on the day before? What are you gonna eat two days before? What does your routine look like? And how are you gonna think your way through that week to make sure that you are calm? Because one thing's like panic it's in stress. It yeah. causes a lot of wasted energy. And it means that when you come to race day, you're not excited for it because you haven't gone in with the right mindset. You've gone in stressed and not knowing what the hell's going on. Mm. But if you, like two weeks before the race, like you'll see in your training peaks, there's what's your plan? So four days before, I'm gonna switch off from work, try and like get rid of my work before like four days out so I can just relax. Yeah. I'm gonna get more sleep throughout that week so mm. that I, give myself the best chance to recover. I'm gonna eat normally, I'm gonna eat from home, I'm not gonna have anything weird, I'm gonna keep going. And then 24 hours before the race day, what does the old run-up look like? Where's the start line? Have you got your race bib? Where is your pen? What time are you gonna wake up? What time are you gonna have food? When are you gonna have your last coffee? Where are the toilet breaks? Or where are the toilets from where your starting pen is? And all those things need to be settled in your mind. So when things do go wrong, which they do, 100% go wrong, you'll be fine because you've got a plan. Yeah. And with the plan, there's contingencies and there's also a calmness that that brings to it. Mm. So activities-wise, it doesn't really matter what you do before a marathon. And again, it, that's, a, that's a complete lie, but <laughs> it matters differently for different people. Yeah. So the mileage will come down in a percentage based on how much you've done in your experience running marathons. You'd rather go in underprepared and fresh than overcooked and knackered. Okay. So the exercise is literally just to keep your legs turning, keep the blood flowing around the yeah. muscles that need repair. Yeah. So you go in and you, you get this like sense of itchiness. Mm. So you, every day you get a little bit more fresh mm. and fresh and fresh and fresh until mm. you feel full of energy because of all the things you've done beforehand to make sure you're ready. We're on race day, right? Like that's the day, the D-Day. What should an athlete do on that day? On the day that they're standing or right before they're on the start line? Right before? Yeah. Ah, this is, this is my favorite part. <laughs> it's have a word with yourself and have a really positive self-talk just in your head. I personally like to do it. I, <laughs> I've done it a couple of times yeah. and it works well. 
I crouch down, so you're in the big hubbub. Yeah. Surrounded by people who have got some have neighbors faces, some are chatting, and it's you're all at head level. Yeah. So it can become really overwhelming. Mm. So I like to take myself out of that space mm. by just crouching down and pretending to do my like my laces, which I'm synonymous for doing really badly. <laughs> and I just have a have a chat with myself and say what I'm doing it for, what my plan is, mm. how I'm gonna feel during it and just smile to yourself because you've made it right. Yeah. You're ready, you've done all this hard work and this is a thing to enjoy. So you have a smile to yourself and you, see, you give yourself like a pat on the back mm. and then you stand up, take one big deep breath and then go. Which I am so looking forward to, obviously. My last question to you, Rob, is if you were to give three tips to someone who wants to start their journey into training for a marathon, what would that be? Start. Pick a marathon that's far enough away based on what you can give to it. Mm -hmm. So if you're working 15 hours a day and you've got three kids and you've got a hectic social life, mm. then realistically you've got two runs a week maximum. Mm. So that would take a lot longer to get there than it would for somebody who's got a bit more free mm. time yeah. or prioritizes their life a bit differently. And then speak to somebody who's done one before mm. or speak to somebody who can help figure out how to get there. Okay. I'm not saying a coach because you don't all, not everybody needs a coach. A lot of people do and don't know it, but if you can speak to somebody who's experienced and is nice with their time, I think a good coach or a good person will always give you their time to a new person starting up. Yeah. And just advise on what they need to be doing to be getting better. Yeah. That one experience is so important with someone, that one talk or Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes the whole thing. It can it can set you off on a much better path yeah. and not lead you to get injured. Yeah. Uh, number four, because they give me three, so I'll yeah. give one more. Is there? There's always a bonus. Go, this is a bonus episode go, anyways. Go, go find other runners. Go run with other runners. Because running is a social sport mm. and there's nothing that gets you through a long run or gets you on the right path by having the right people around you to That's advise true. you. Thanks for taking out the time. Appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.